Uh, good morning. Good morning. It's good to see y'all. My name is Blake Sherman. Uh, I'm a minister here. And as many of you know, I'm on my way out. We are going to serve in England. And I promise we are going there, uh, which has taken a second it's just to get there. But uh, we just got passports back this last week. And now we're applying for visas. And once we get those visas, we're headed out. So it is such a blessing uh, to get to speak with you this morning about the resurrection. If you have your Bible, uh, we're going to be in two spots today. We're going to be in John 20, starting in verse 11, and we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5, starting in 16, just to give you a heads up. So uh, just so you know where we're picking up, we're picking up, and Mary, Mary Magdalene, has made her way to the tomb early in the morning, and she made her way to the tomb, and she found that the tomb was empty. And she feared the worst. She feared that maybe robbers had come or maybe temple officials had come and taken the body away of Jesus. And so she runs back to the other disciples and Peter and John run back with her to the tomb and they go into the tomb and they see it's empty. They see the burial linens on the ground. And it says in the scripture that they didn't understand that Jesus needed to be resurrected. They still didn't grasp it. And so Mary... Um, is sitting outside the tomb and she's weeping. The disciples have gone back and that is where we pick up. Verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Meaning I'll go get him and I'll give him a proper burial if you just tell me where he's at. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go and sit to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. This is just a, such a beautiful moment in the resurrection story where Mary is weeping outside of a tomb. She's weeping because she's like, where's his body? She still believes that, hey, he's dead. Dead people stay dead. That's what she believes. She says, where's his body? And she's, she's trying to find his body so she can give him a proper burial. And there's this moment where the gardener is talking to her and then she realizes, oh wait, it's Jesus. It's Jesus and he is alive. And so I wanna talk about the resurrection today. And the reason I use this passage is because I think a lot of us are in that stage of the in-between. The moment, the in-between of looking at a gardener and still thinking that dead people stay dead and the moment where you realize the risen Christ has come and the resurrection is advancing. The kingdom of God is here. It's been inaugurated and he's doing a new thing. And so I wanna talk about what happens whenever we come to terms with the resurrection and maybe some of us for the first time today will look upon the risen king. Uh, Tom Holland, not the actor, not Spider-Man, uh, but the historian. Yeah, they're like, oh, great, uh, historian. But so Tom Holland, he's an award-winning historian. He wrote a book called Dominion. And basically the book is about how Christianity shaped the Western mind, really shaped the world. It's a fascinating book because he's an atheist. 
Uh, he's a skeptic, and, but he's just come to terms with the fact that Christianity has had a good effect on the world. And he starts off the book in a really interesting way, and I just wanted to share it with you because I thought it was just so compelling. He said, three or four decades before the birth of Christ, Rome built their first heated swimming pool. I don't know how they did it, but that's what they did. Three or four decades before the birth of Christ, they built their first heated swimming pool, and they built it on a hill outside the ancient walls of Rome. It took a while to get this hill ready because it had been undeveloped for a long time. And the reason it had been undeveloped is because it was known as being a place for the dead. If you were too poor and you couldn't afford a tomb, they would just throw your body out there. If you were a slave and you were in a cell and you died, they would drag your body out there. And right next to it was another area called Session, and that was a place where they would put all their crucifixions, all their crosses. And so anyone that tried to rebel against the Roman Empire would be crucified. And so if you were coming to Rome, you would be greeted by countless crosses saying, this is what happens when you try to rebel. These are failed revolutionaries. Take a look at them. And when you read this, you just think like, man, what screams more dominance than saying, hey, we're going to move all the corpses of all the people we've defeated and we've crushed under our might. We're going to move them aside to put in our heated swimming pool. <laughs> and it would have marble fittings and fountains and it was beautiful. And if you had to place money on somebody's kingdom advancing, would you place it on the person with the heated swimming pool or a peasant that had been crucified? That's, that's if you look historically at the moment, that's what's so powerful about this is that Jesus historically in that moment would have been considered nothing just another person that had been crushed. But there's one kingdom that continues to advance and another that has long vanished. I like the way that Tom Holland put it because he's an outsider. He's not a person of faith. And he's looking at it historically. And this is the question that he asks. And he puts it in the terms that make sense to him. And this is interesting. He says, how was it that a cult inspired by the execution of an obscure criminal in a long vanished empire came to exercise such a transformative and enduring influence on the world. It's powerful, right? To think about it in that context, that it was a cult. That's the way they would have viewed it. And that he was an obscure criminal. It wasn't a big deal. But one empire has vanished and one kingdom continues to advance. And we know on the other side why, right? We know that he actually wasn't a failed revolutionary, that his revolt hadn't stopped there, but actually it was beginning there that the kingdom was being inaugurated and it was advancing and his kingdom was alive. And yeah, it's kind of terrifying when you think about the power and the might that Christ has. And he's continued to advance to this day. And not only that, but now we, as Mark put it, we are experiencing the resurrection and we have new life and we are part of this kingdom that is advancing. It's something we all have to deal with. And the question is, have you answered that question? Have you seen it in your own life? How has he come to have such an influence? Have you seen the risen king? 2 Corinthians 5, Paul outlines what is now true because of the resurrection. He just got done saying that because Christ died on a cross and rose again. And by the way, Christ dying on a cross, Jesus Nazareth dying on a cross. Um, what Tom Holland would say, an atheist, is that he said, most historians don't dispute that fact. They said, if there's anything we agree on about Jesus of Nazareth, it's that he died on a cross. So that is true. Is definitely true. He died on a cross. And he says, because we have died with him and we will now rise with him. And he starts playing out the resurrection. Verse 16, this is what he says. So from now on, 
We regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Paul says, because of what Jesus did on the cross, and just so you know, we're not talking about the cross. I mean it in the New Testament sense, death and resurrection. I'm not just talking about the death, death and resurrection. What he did on the cross, because of what he did, we don't use the metrics and the standards of this world to view each other. It's, it's like we're, we're operating on a different playing field. The one thing that matters the most is not your appearance. It's not your wealth. It's not your status, your talent, anything like that. That doesn't matter. The main thing that matters is your relation and your standing to the risen king. How, where do you stand in relation to the king? That's the one thing that was the most pressing thing to Paul. And that's what's true of us now that are in Christ. I like the way that C.S. Lewis put it. He said, there are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, art, civilizations, these are mortal and their life is to ours, the life of a net. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. What Lewis is saying is because what we see in Jesus on the cross is that we realize every single person in this room has eternal significance. You have an eternal trajectory. Whether or not you know it, you have an eternal trajectory. Whether you will be a horror or a splendor, whether you will be with Christ or separated. But we don't get caught up in the small worldly point of views. Those things, they vanish in the presence of the risen king. We realize that he is doing a new thing. And do you, I just like the question that, that just presses on me is do you understand what you are on the precipice of? Like the, the edge, the cliff of what you're on the edge of is that God is doing this huge redemptive work that he has risen from the dead. And because of that, you can now rise and you can have new life and you're a part of his kingdom and his kingdom's advancing and it will to the fulfillment of time. You can be a part of that. Do you, do you recognize that? Do you see the risen king? Because whenever you do, it changes everything. It changes not just the way you view God, but the way you view everyone else. Is that God is doing something powerful and you wanna know like, are you in on this? Are you part of this? Because it's of the utmost importance. Because he says, we no longer regard Christ in that way. Because there was a time where Paul regarded Christ that way. And that's when he was formerly known as Saul. It's kind of confusing. But if you don't know, he was regarded as, as a religious leader. He was a Pharisee. And Saul viewed Christ according to worldly terms. He saw that he was crucified. And he said, so yeah, he was clearly a false prophet. That's what he used to believe. He said he was clearly a false prophet. And anyone that followed him uh, was a heretic. And they were a threat to the temple. And so he made it his mission to wipe out Christianity, to wipe out any follower of Jesus because they were a threat to the true religion of the one true God. And so what happens is you can read about in Acts 8, there's the stoning of Stephen and it says they laid their coats at the feet of Saul, basically saying that Saul had approved of the killing of Stephen. And then after that, a great persecution broke out in Jerusalem and all the Christians fled. And some scholars argue that some of those Christians fled to Damascus. And so Paul, or Saul, sorry, it's confusing. Saul begins to make his way to Damascus to arrest these Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem. And he's on the way. And when he's on the way, there's a blinding light. He's knocked off to the ground. He's knocked to the ground and he comes in contact with the risen Christ, the one he regarded to a worldly point of view, but now he's seeing the risen King and he's realizing he got everything wrong. And so then he's blind. 
and he makes his way to Damascus. You got to keep track with me. He makes his way to Damascus. He's blind. And then Jesus speaks to another follower of Jesus, Ananias. And he says, hey, Ananias, Saul is here. I need you to go to his house. And he's like, wait, Saul, the one that's killing us? Saul, the one that's probably coming here to arrest me, to take me back to Jerusalem? He says, yeah, he's actually a part of something I'm doing now. I need you to go to his house. And so he goes and catch this. The first thing that Ananias says to his persecutor is this, brother Saul, brother Saul, because he no, he no longer regarded him according to a worldly point of view. He was like, oh, you're in relation with Christ? Then forget about everything else. This is what matters most right now. Brother Saul, are you in on the big thing that God is doing in our midst? That his kingdom is advancing. Are you a part of it? Because that's the one thing that matters the most. Everything else, the thing that you probably woke up today and thought was the most pressing thing, that fades in the presence of Jesus. Do you see him as the king? Because Paul says, if you do, he says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Now, this is a lot, but let me try my best to summarize it. Paul, it's not just like, oh, the old is gone, the new is here. He most likely had an understanding that most Pharisees did during that time is that the resurrection would only come at the end of days. Like at the end of time, that's when the resurrection would happen. They didn't really have a category for a resurrection happening today. Um, one scholar said that most ancient Mediterranean peoples that was unintelligible to them, the idea of a resurrection. And then if you were a Jew, the only time you could imagine it is if it was at the end of time. You can see this with the story of Martha. So if you don't know the story of Martha and Lazarus, Lazarus had died, Jesus shows up, and Martha's like, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus says, don't worry, he will rise. And she says, yes, I know he will rise in the last days. Meaning she's like, I know that at the end of time, he will rise. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I am the resurrection and the life. Meaning, yes, there will be a day where God returns and he makes everything new. He says, but right now, because of my presence, resurrection power is available in this present era. It's not just something far off in distance. Do you understand that? Like, I like the way that Willard put it is that he said, he was talking about, he used to grow up with kerosene lanterns and all those kind of things and electricity showed up and it took them a while to tap into electricity. And he said, repent for electricity is at hand. Like there is new life available and there is resurrection power available because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Are, are you a part of what God is doing? Because it, an old age has passed and the new has come. That's what Paul thought is that the world that was broken chaotic, and he was beginning his new work of recreating creation, making it all new. That's what Christ was doing the moment that he was resurrected. And so here's, the, here's why I'm saying this, is that if you are in Christ, he says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, you are a new creation. The importance of this is that God has this huge rescue plan to redeem all of creation, and you are a part of that. It's not just like he's giving you a thumbs up and says, and you're one of my guys. He's like, no, you're a part of my redemptive work. I'm doing a new thing. Paul was probably playing off Isaiah 42 that God was doing a new thing in our midst. He says, and you're one of the new things. 
One of the new things I got going on, you're gonna be filled with my spirit. That's you. And so now Paul's gonna continue if you wanna read this later, cause I'm not gonna go into it, but like we continue to participate in the work of reconciling because of God reconciling us to him. Now, how does this play out? This is really crucial. If you haven't heard this, you just focus in right now because this is so important. The way that you become in Christ and become a part of that new creation that the old passes and the new arrives is because when Jesus Christ went to the cross and he died, he took all of the sin, all of the darkness, all the pain, the chaos, the distortion of this world, he took it upon himself, meaning all the things in you too, he took it upon himself and he put it to death. And so we, as Paul read, or as Mark read earlier, we've been crucified with Christ meaning our old life has been put to death in that moment. And then he rose from the grave and we rise also with him in new life. This is the symbol of baptism. So whenever you're being baptized and we say buried with Christ in his death and the water rushes over your face, you can just imagine dirt being thrown over your face. You are being buried. Or you can imagine a stone being rolled over and you're being put in a tomb. And we're saying your old life is dead because of what he did on the cross. And then when you come out of the water and say, and raised to walk in newness of life, what we're saying is because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, you rise also and you have new life. It is a beautiful and powerful thing. And it's something that's been made available to every single person here. The only question is, have you joined in? Are you a part of it? Are you part of what God is doing? So many people, we don't have the eyes to see what God is doing. We don't have the ears to hear. And it makes me think about what Mary at the very end said, you know, where Mary, she's looking for a gardener. She's still operating off of the old age, that the resurrection is gonna come off sometime way off in the future. But actually God's doing that new thing in her midst. If she just had the eyes to see it, she didn't have the eyes to see it in that moment, but thankfully she had the ear to hear it. Because you know, it's the moment that everything changed. The moment that everything changed for her is the moment that Jesus said one word, Mary, Mary. And it's like suddenly her eyes were opened and she realized what God was doing in her midst. Is Christ still just the gardener to you? Or do you see the risen King? You know, the significance of that moment whenever he said Mary, is that suddenly she just knew like what happened there? Uh, it made me think of years ago, whenever I was a high school minister, uh, Mark Tate, who was a junior high minister, asked me to come preach to the junior high. And uh, so I'm in there and I'm preaching the junior high and I don't mean this to knock against junior hires because I was a junior hire and I did the same thing. So please forgive me. But what was happening is I was talking and they were, there was just like a low hum in the room. Like they were just talking the entire time. And there was like crinkling of paper. And I was like, why are you doing that? You know, and they don't know why they're doing it, but they just thought, why not? You know, and it's just going on. And there's one kid in the front row and he has a response to everything I'm saying. He's just trying to crack a joke the whole time. And I can't do it. I just can't think straight. And so eventually um, I just said, hey man, what's your name? To a kid in the front row. And I don't remember his name. And I know you're thinking like, well, you ruined his life. You better remember his name. But I don't remember his name. But I was like, hey, dude, what's your name? And he said something like, Alex. And I was like, hey, Alex, can you stop talking? Because I'm talking right now. And the room just got silent. <laughs> you know, terrifying, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping he's doing well. It's not a great moment for me. Um, and it's not surprising, Mark never asked me back to preach. I don't know what happened there. 
Um, but the reason it got silent in the room is that they were like, oh no, this guy's taking names. Like he's learning names because if you learn someone's name, it's like you see them and you know them and they can't escape your sight because you know their name. And uh, the, what's kind of happening here is in a good way, Mary is being seen. That whenever she hears her name, she goes, oh wait, you know me. But it's not just that she feels known and she feels seen. It's playing off to something we read in John 10, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I call my sheep by their name. So this is what's happening. And he says, and they know my voice. They know my voice. And so when Mary hears her name, Mary, she hears the good shepherd and she goes, that's my shepherd, recognizes the voice. And what I believe is that I believe that God, I believe that he is alive and he is moving, he is active. And whatever you believe about him, it doesn't matter what you believe about him, he is pursuing you. He's after you. He wants to know you. That's just his heart. And for some people in this room, Christ has just been the gardener. He's just kind of been part of the, setting, the scenery. But today he is the risen king to you. You're realizing it for the first time. It feels like, He's calling your name and you're being seen for the first time. But at the same time, you're recognizing, oh wait, I think this is true. I think this is the king. I think this is the shepherd. I had a good friend um, and when he recently followed Christ as an adult, I asked him, what was that moment like? I said, why did you follow Jesus? Was it the sermon? Was it the argument or anything like that? He says, it was just a moment. I realized it's all true. It's all true. This is just everything in my being just said, it's all true. And for some people in this room, that's happening to you. It's like you're reading the scripture and the spirit is testifying on behalf of the scripture and you're going, yeah, I feel seen and I feel like this is the guy. This is the one I'm supposed to follow. And I just want you to know, you gotta respond today. You gotta turn to him and follow him with your entirety. You gotta turn to him and like Mary, she said, teacher, you turn to him and say, Lord, teacher, Rabboni, you're the one that I'm gonna follow. And the beautiful thing is whenever you do that, you will have your status sealed with God forever. Because that's what Jesus says, that he says, hey, don't hold on to me because I have to ascend. And he, he says, my father and your father, my God and your God. What he's saying is the status and the relationship that I have with the Father, you will have now because of what I've done. And so I'm going to ascend and it will be eternally sealed. Eternally sealed. The question is, do you see the risen King today and have you responded? We're going to um, take the Lord's Supper here in a moment, take communion. And what that symbolizes is what Jesus did on the cross that he died on a cross and he rose again. And by that, we now have new life. And another way they put it in scripture is that we now sit at his table in his kingdom. When the feast is happening, we're there sitting with him because of what he's done. And we're gonna do that in a moment, but that is only for followers of Jesus. And I want you to know the only reason that we can sit at the table has nothing to do with us. It has to do everything with what Jesus did. And so if you don't know him and you wanna sit at the table, you wanna know God and you wanna take communion with us in a moment, Turn to him now and call him Lord. There's gonna be deacons on uh, both sides. They're gonna have lanyards that say prayer team. And you can just go over there and just say, hey, um, I wanna know Jesus. And they will pray with you, talk with you. And you might just, you might say, hey, I don't 
need to follow Jesus today, I know Jesus, I just need prayer, you can go over there as well, and they would love to pray with you as well. Um, But let's respond now. We're going to have a moment of worship, and then um, I'm going to come back up later, and we're going to have communion. Okay, would y'all pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you that you are doing a new thing, that your kingdom is advancing. And God, by your grace, you invite us to be a part of it. And God, I just pray that if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you, that's not a part of the new thing that you're doing, um, God, that right now they would just hear, hear you call their name in the same way that you said, Mary. Right now, would you be calling to people in this room, just saying their name, just saying, James, Sarah, Grace, calling to their name right now. God, if there's people right here that just, they feel seen by you for the first time and they see you, they recognize your voice and they can recognize that you're true and they don't know what this all means, but they wanna follow you. God, by your spirit, would you give them the courage to respond now? your name we pray. Amen. So as uh, we stand and sing and worship, if you feel led uh, to follow Jesus, just go over to the left or the right. There will be deacons waiting, or if you just need prayer, you can do that as well. But let's respond, and then we'll have communion in a moment.
and start getting it ready. It takes a second. But let me remind you what this represents. This is supposed to be the bread and the bread represents the body of Christ that was broken for you. And the cup represents the blood of Christ that was shed for you. That whenever he was on the cross and he put death to death, we can also leave our old life behind. And when he rose a new life, we may also rise with him. So the body of Christ broken for you. And then Jesus took the cup, the blood of Christ shed for you. God, we thank you. God, for people in this room that you're pressing upon them right now to respond. Whether it's with an entire life surrendered over to you, the way that Mark put it at the beginning, just letting things die so we can receive that full life that you have for us, God. Or whether it's following you for the first time, of letting the old die, God, and accepting the new, that you are doing a new thing in our midst and they wanna get in on your redemptive plan. God, would you just press upon our hearts as right now we remember what we're a part of. God, as we collectively and in in unity eat and drink of your body and your blood, we are saying that we are part of you. We are in you and you are doing a new thing and you deserve all praise, all honor and glory. God, you be glorified today. God, move hearts today. Call us to action and obedience. In your name we pray.